Welcome to the Forward 40 Podcast, where we highlight the experiences of 40 women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. This is an ode to our foremothers, a healing circle of our unique experiences, and a bridge of insight and wisdom across generations. Thank you, everyone, for being here today for the launch event for Forward 40. We are live here at the Chai Spot in New York City, and I am pleased to have our very first guest for Forward 40 with us here today, Ofranima Bu of the Building Movement Project. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, So for those that are wondering about how Forward 40 came to be, I was actually um, in in bed one night and my spirit would just not let me sleep whatsoever so I text my best friend and I said there is something that I need to do with 40 women I just keep seeing the number 40 and I asked her well what do you think about forward 40 and I wanted to connect it to my experience as being a black woman in the sector and broaden it so that it was reflective of other women of color So we played around uh, with some of the ideas and I asked her, what does tea make you feel? Because for anyone that knows me, they know that I'm not a coffee drinker. And if I am drinking coffee, then it's a very, very rough day. So we did a spin on the number 40 and for tea, as in the tea that you drink. So this platform is intended to highlight the experiences of women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. And we hope to also patronize minority and women-owned cafes and tea spots for in-person networking. Because for me, tea, I have associated it with bringing community, but then also being very much restorative, healing. It's an herb. So I'm so pleased to, to be here today have a mix of ladies and gentlemen that are that are here to hear more ab- about this work. So how Ofranima and I came to meet each other, I, when I decided that this was the, the path that I was going to take, I went to work and I was still ruminating over it and then came across this report on women of color in the nonprofit sector. And I noticed that it was from the same entity that released the report Race to Lead about a year and a half ago. And when I first came across that report, it really spoke to the things that I was feeling internally, but didn't really have that sounding board. The only piece that was missing for me was that it wasn't talking specifically about my experience being in the nonprofit sector. So I was so pleased to see that this report was not only highlighting my experience, but also the experiences of other women of color in the sector. So with that, uh, Ofranima just wanted to provide the opportunity for you to just talk more about who you are and um, what your journey in the sector has been to date. Great. So some time ago, I decided to pursue a MPA, Master's in Public Administration at NYU Wagner. I had dreams of 
helping others and serving my community. So um, engaged in that degree, ended up working with um, community groups in Red Hook, Brooklyn, through the New York City Parks Department and the City Parks Foundation, worked with the youth organization in Newark, New Jersey, connecting them to jobs. Um, Also started a nonprofit with a friend who worked in the media industry. And Mm -hmm. the idea behind that was to connect youth of color to mentors and to give them internships. Um, I decided to return to working in higher education. So I worked in career services, different roles for a number of years. But I really thought back to my undergraduate experience studying mm-hmm. psychology, and mm-hmm. that was a chance for me to really get oh, into research. Oh, we have that in common. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I, was, I did research um, my senior year. I worked at an infant motor lab, which is very different. But wow. I, I had this inclination back then to pursue a PhD, but decided mm-hmm. not to. Um, so something was calling me to go back, and I decided to pursue a PhD in policy since I did have an MPA in um, nonprofit management and policy. So mm-hmm. I figured that would be the most direct route to continue my education as well as to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a career change some years ago in pursuing the PhD. I'm still working on it. Um, I worked, but you're doing it. I'm doing it. I'm, <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, my research interests are around racial disparities and labor market outcomes, mm-hmm. specifically looking at um, how people are over and underrepresented in jobs that are more precarious, um, that are less stable, um, and looking at the experiences specifically for black workers and Latinx workers, looking at men and women, um, Mm -hmm. looking at the racial and gender dimensions of that. Nice, nice. Um, So I reached out to you just kind of like I came across this report and then I noticed that we had our graduate alma mater in common, uh, that we both went to the new school. And uh, connected with you on LinkedIn, and we immediately set up some time mm-hmm. to, to meet in person. And we went to a cafe because the option was, are we going to, you know, hang out and go get drinks on the first time? And then I proposed that we do coffee or tea, and I had to throw tea in there. Um, you didn't catch it then. <laughs> no, um, but we went to a cafe and um, immediately connected, connected on the research, but then also our experiences in the sector. And I remember that the guy that was working there asked, you know, like what it is that we wanted. And I said that I was going to have tea and you said coffee. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I didn't throw you any shade that day. Thank you. <laughs> um, so. In terms of the the report, like it focuses on women of color in the nonprofit sector. And I know that you've been traveling the country um, to pretty much do in-person convenings with with the report. What have been the, you know, the higher level themes of the report and how has it been received? Great. So the Women of Color, the nonprofit sector report was released this past February 2019 And overall, what we found was that um, both race and gender pose barriers for women of color in many ways over and above what men of color and white women are experiencing. Mm -hmm. So what we found from the Race to Lead survey, which um, went out in 2016 and over 4,000 people around the country Mm -hmm. working in the nonprofit sector responded. We also supplemented that with focus groups around the country. Over 100 people participated in that. And what we saw was that uh, women of color reported being passed over or overlooked um, for new jobs, for promotions, even for projects in favor of other folks Mm -hmm. like white men, men of color, white women, um, in many cases who had less experience and less credentials than them. Another major finding is that um, education training, although it's important, of course, but it's really not the solution. It doesn't close the gap and it doesn't provide equity. 
So what we noticed in the data was that women of color with a master's degree and more were the most likely, compared to their counterparts, to be in a line or admin staff position. Mm-hmm. Um, we also saw a lot of salary disparities where you saw, um, especially on gender lines, women of color and white women being paid much less than uh, men of color. And of course, white men made the most. And amongst executive directors and CEOs, women of color um, were in the lowest salary bracket that we found, the under mm-hmm. 50000 and under bracket. Wow. Um, so clearly, you see folks who have the same education, yet you see this disparity. So education training isn't going to help you outrun discrimination. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, what we found in the study was that there are experiences in the nonprofit sector that women of color are having that really expose that the social landscape is really... Um, creating some barriers that are not supportive of their leadership, but they are leaders, and then creating barriers for them to advance. So, uh, for example, women of color reported um, dealing with these genderized and racial stereotypes um, that varied across different Mm -hmm, groups of women mm -hmm, of color. mm -hmm. Um, They reported that they were, on one hand, invisible, meaning they didn't have mentors as much on the job. They were less likely to get feedback and evaluations. But then on the other hand, they were hyper-visible. So they've said that they were questioned more than their peers um, about their decisions. Mm -hmm. And they talked about how disheartening that was. So I've been presenting these findings here in New York City, been to New Mexico, to Oregon, um, doing more sessions coming up in Washington, D.C. and other locations. And a lot of women of color do attend, um, even in cities where they're less represented, like, mm-hmm. say, Portland. And they find that it's really affirming. They feel validated from hearing the findings, even though it is, of course, troubling. Absolutely, but it's yeah. it's seeing it on yeah. paper, the numbers of what yes. you're experiencing. It's saying, yes. hey, this is really happening to you. Yes, yes. And for mm-hmm. me, when I saw the report, like, the balance on the qualitative and the quantitative um, piece and in, in the data it was affirming for my experience, but then also for other women in the sector um, that, you know, we've had like our preaching to the choir, mm-hmm. uh, little niche, mm-hmm. and to have it encapsulated in a report was just like, it, it was so freeing um, and, and so affirming. Um, in terms of the, you, you mentioned the, the piece about the salary disparities. Um, if someone were to read the report and say, well, maybe it's, you know, women already have an issue advocating for themselves. So maybe women of color just need better negotiation skills. What would you like if someone were to just deduce it to just, uh, you know, like a, a skills gap with negotiation? What would you say to that? Well, unfortunately, we know from data in pretty much all fields that women are paid less than men, and Mm -hmm. especially women of color are paid a lot less than everyone else. So you can't really uh, drill it down to negotiating. There are also some studies that show that negotiating in some ways can be viewed as acting out of gender, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're negotiating, pursuing that higher salary, we know that women are also punished for acting in a way that's considered more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And that's something that women of color talked about in our study as well. Um, so really, it's an issue of um, the employer, I would say, um, that is the issue. And we can't rely on individuals to fix something like that. Mm-hmm. It's something that needs to be fixed with organizations being more transparent about salary. And we also need policy behind it. 
They're just a few states that have gender parity laws that require employers to pay individuals the same for the same type of work based on gender. We need more of that in other states and make sure, and making sure that the racial and gender dimensions are in there. Yeah. And I and I I completely agree with you on that um that to just deduce it to a negotiation skills gap. It's just ridiculous to be quite frank. Yeah. Um especially when it's even in jobs where typically you wouldn't really negotiate anyway like some of the lowest paid jobs still you see that disparity how can that be the reason correct and within the sector um there's already like this kind of assumption that okay well you're drawn to the sector to nonprofit space because you have this bleeding heart um you're altruistic so just take it or leave it Mm -hmm. you know um just go to the private sector if you Mm want to make more money uh and the experience for women of color, I would say, and then also like people of color more broadly, that there are other layers to the identity. Um, I know Kimberly Crenshaw, like she mentions intersectionality and, and you know, sometimes people throw that term around, but um, specifically for women of color, you're not only showing up as a woman, but you're showing up as a person of color that is either from the community that you're working on behalf of, you're living in that community, and it comes with a layer of emotional taxation, um, so to speak, within the work. So, um, it, yeah, it's definitely way more deeper than that. Uh, in the report, it also mentioned a point about mentorship. And I've been in the role of being a formal mentor and then also an informal mentor. And the intent for Forward 40 is that this can actually be an intergenerational conversation so that we're not just speaking to our peers, but we're also speaking to the younger women who are considering this sector or the social enterprise space as an option for them. And uh, the women of color that were noted in the report as either working at organizations that were predominantly people of color or identity-based, that they didn't have any issue finding a, a mentor which was great. That was like not a surprise for me at all. But I did wonder, in terms of the intergenerational um, piece, have you heard this kind of um, message from our foremothers in the space that, well, you know, I've been through this, so you're just going to have to suck it up and go through it too? Or were you hearing things different in, in your travels across the country? Right. So that's a that's a great point. It was interesting to see in the report that the women of color who worked in people of color immigrant identity based organizations were more likely to have had an internal mentor on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our focus groups around the country, it was really women of color. Um, we had focus groups for women of color, white women, um, white CEOs. CEOs of color, also a men of color focus group in New York City. It was really women of color who talked a lot about mentoring and how important it was Mm -hmm. and how they tried to seek it out because they Mm -hmm. weren't getting it on the job. Mm -hmm. And I would say that for most of the women of color, their mentors were other women of color, which to me indicates that there is that giving back that women of color do. We know that we, we do this. Um, There were a lot of women of color who were also mentored by other folks, men of color, white men, white Mm -hmm. women, for the most part, had good experiences. There were just a couple of people who said that they felt that um, it was difficult to find a woman of color mentor because she was, let's say, the only one Mm -hmm. on the job, overburdened, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. perhaps maybe even harder on her. But that didn't come up as much. Um, What we heard more was that um, they were seeking out the women of color mentors. Um, I remember in Portland, Oregon, they were 
women who said that there was this one woman that everyone wanted to work with. They had mm-hmm. to schedule time as a group to meet with her because <laughs> she was so busy with uh-huh. other things. So uh-huh. that's another thing that women of color take on so many burdens and responsibilities, formally and form- informally, on the job and outside of it. Correct. From family, friends, mentoring others, volunteering, all those responsibilities. So we know that um, women of color um, are certainly giving back. Well, that's it's great to, to hear that because... Um, I've had mentors across uh, the, you know, the the spectrum in terms of like racial identity, uh, gender, even though my primary um, source, I would say, of mentorship has been women. Mm -hmm. And all of my supervisors have been women as well, even when I was an intern. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've seen the difference in leadership styles, the difference in management styles, but then also the distinction between someone who's a leader versus someone who is a manager. Um, and as someone who has been in the sector similar to you uh, for a little over a decade, it has been great to see how now we're at a point where we're talking about this uh, and we have the data to back up what needs to be done, what could be done to actually shift the sector beyond just diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations. And uh, I've found that when I've been in spaces where we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, for some, it can be very trendy. It could just be like the hot thing to discuss for, you know, for the time being, whether it's because of private dollars that are being um, sourced to to, uh, cater to that space or philanthropic dollars. And... Also, organizations have started to rebrand themselves to attract talent so that the the source of recruitment is not just your traditional human resources department, but now you have like VP of people and culture or director of people and culture. So it seems like there's more of an intentional focus on people that are actually getting the work done. And um, do you think that this work with an affinity-based group is solely the responsibility of like that specific space of like HR or organizational development. Like where does this work exist and whose um, who's onus is it on to, to drive it forward? Yeah, so you're talking about uh, one of our recommendations was to make sure that there are affinity groups for different folks, whether it's women of color, men of color, and so on, because it seemed that it was something that folks were looking for. At the end of every women of color and CEOs of color focus group, even here in New York City, people mm-hmm. were passing out business cards saying, hey, there's another one of you. And just looking <laughs> just looking for that support. So we do think affinity groups, which are um, available a lot more yeah. in the corporate sector, can be helpful. Mm-hmm. But just to be clear, it's not going to lead to women of color certainly become, suddenly becoming executive directors all over the place. Mm-hmm. That's not the issue, right? Um, the issue is the discrimination. However, it is a support that we think um, could certainly be helpful. And I think that affinity groups should be set up and should, you know, will probably more likely survive if it comes from the top, if it comes mm-hmm. from the executive director um, or the CEO saying, hey, this is something that we should have. And um, whether that's staff pushing for it, but mm-hmm. you definitely need the, the top levels to approve and, and uh, make sure that it happens. Absolutely. That it's not uh, just a call to action that's just coming in from the staff level or grassroots mm-hmm. level, but mm-hmm. there's 
actually effort Mm -hmm. for it to be institutionalized. Um, So on a like more personal level, you're a professional in this space. You've lived it. Um, What did it feel like to be the author of this report, to be a woman in the sector gathering this data and then also hearing more Mm-hmm. Uh, information and 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 more um, qualitative, I would say, uh, feedback around just what other women's experiences are like. Yeah, so as a woman of color, I'm a black woman. Um, analyzing the data early on, it was became really clear from looking at all the responses that women of color were rating um, or having, you know, in some ways the worst experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was certainly disheartened to see that, but in many ways not surprised mm-hmm. because I've been in the sector too, and I understand a lot of that. I think my experiences helped me understand the data and what mm-hmm. some of the issues are. And I also want to say that I felt a certain responsibility to be true to the data, to make sure that mm-hmm. we are completely honest, that we are scientific, that we are um, using all the um, appropriate methodology mm-hmm. and making sure that to stay objective, even though this is something I can relate to, but at the same time, we have to have other eyes on it. We make sure we have reviewers. We um, make sure there's other coders involved and so on. So um, that's how it felt for me, I would say, that I felt disheartened, but also a sense of responsibility. Yeah. And then on the other hand, um, I feel like the recommendations that we talk about give a sense of hope. So our recommendations really focus, one, on systemic um, issues, so mm-hmm. addressing philanthropy and philanthropy giving more support to women of color-led organizations, for nonprofits to do more advocacy work that would give more funding to the let's say the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to investigate cases of discrimination, to have more wage parity laws, to have other social supports for everyone, including Mm -hmm. women of color, like um, could be um, higher minimum wages, could be jobs guarantees, even people are talking about universal basic income, there's all kinds of proposals. And then finally, the organizational level. So looking at organizations having transparency around pay scales, Mm -hmm. having um, setting up those affinity groups and making sure that if folks are discriminating, which is something that people are, were experiencing a lot, that there's real consequences mm-hmm, for that. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. And I uh, thank you for that. And especially your point on like feeling like it was your duty. I've even found that while I was in spaces where they were either talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, that it wasn't speaking to me. It wasn't speaking to my experience and instead of being the one that was on the side expecting someone else to be the voice, mm-hmm. I felt that it was my duty to create this platform uh, for other women of color, knowing that there's going to be more spaces and an opportunity for us to be in community with each other, for us to share in our experiences, but also um, connect on a more deeper level and then also on a professional level so that we know that we're not by ourselves uh, we're not going crazy, and that's that's also a thing. I, I came across a report a number of years ago um, by um, Dr. Aisha Holder on like the microaggressions that come up, and she was looking at Black women in the in the corporate sector and in the nonprofit space where it's social justice focus and um, just very like people oriented. One wouldn't think. Uh, that we are experiencing 
the same levels, mm-hmm. if not more, or mm-hmm. on, a, on a deeper level uh, within the nonprofit sector, but, but we do. So thank you for that. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, I also tuned into the webinar a couple of weeks ago, and there were just so many women from all across the country that were tuned in. And Canada. Oh, oh, and Canada. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And it was, it it felt like we were all in one room, Mm -hmm. even though we were just connecting virtually, just hearing about the data. And it, it felt intense because women were just, it, you know, like sharing their emails, sharing their phone numbers. They wanted to know, well, what are we going to do next? There was a great sense of urgency. And I had to take a moment after the, the webinar, like, okay, I just need my moment of just Selah. Like, I need to breathe. I need to just have that space to just process everything where do we go next and how do we provide a space for people to process the information uh, but in a healthy way that we can actually take it to the next level right so the webinar was very exciting we had more registrations than we've ever had for webinars over 1300 people registered congratulations 600 joined us live and wow to date over 300 have watched it afterwards wow and what people were really looking for as you said was that support so that's Mm -hmm. where the affinity groups that you asked about Mm -hmm. came in so we will be launching very soon um, a Google group for women of color and then also nice. another group that's multiracial, multigender for folks to continue to connect and share resources and ask those questions about mm-hmm. how do I deal with this situation Correct. in the workplace? What do I Correct. do? And perhaps it could even be a forum for people to get together and talk about more broader solutions mm-hmm. um, to address um, policy and philanthropy and so on. So, nice. And also when we do the convenings around the country, we have you know, one of the first questions we ask people to talk about in small groups is how did that, you know, how did this report resonate for you? Mm-hmm. And they have mm-hmm. a chance to connect and debrief and then talk about what's next for us as a sector yes. to overcome some of these challenges. Nice, nice. Um, so what's next for, I guess, the work that you're doing um, at Building Movement Project? So in the coming weeks, we will be releasing a report specifically on executive directors, um, looking at some of the challenges um, executive directors of color face and offering more recommendations. And that's across all gender. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, And then we are also right now working on an organizational assessment, which will be a free tool that nonprofit organizations can use to help them along on their race and gender equity journey so that folks working in the organization can Mm -hmm. fill it out anonymously and leaders of the organization can get a sense of how people are feeling, if they're feeling supported, and then make some changes. Nice. Um, Nice. And we're continuing to um, provide recommendations, of course, around the systemic solutions and forums for people to talk about that, to address philanthropy, to Mm -hmm. address public policy as well. Nice. Nice. Well, I like to close... Um, each segment with a tea affirmation. So if there is a great tea brand, they usually have like this little message, inspirational message on on the tea bag. And I like to ask the guests to share a tea affirmation for our audience and our allies as we lead up to the next segment. So what would be your tea affirmation? 
So my T affirmation would be, we know the data can be rather disheartening. Um, we also know that women of color are incredibly resilient. And we know that it's important to continue to push the sector mm-hmm. to do better. And that would be my affirmation. Keep pushing, keep being resilient, and don't let up. Nice, nice. So with that, our affirmation is, I am resilient. Uh, Ofranma, thank you so much for being our very first guest. For those of you who want to access the report, they would find it racetolead.org. That's right, racetolead.org. Wonderful, wonderful. Until we connect again, sip, sis, say la, share, and continue to serve. <laughs>